Turn with me tonight to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. We'll commence reading at verse 1. Proverbs 29, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. He, that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father. But he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. The king by judgment establishes the land. But he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. In the transgression of an evil man there is a snare. But the righteous doth sing and rejoice. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor. But the wicked regardeth not to know it. Scornful men bring a city into a snare. But wise men turn away wrath. If a wise man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this short reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Proverbs chapter 29 verse 1 and my theme this evening is God's verdict of wasted reproofs. Now Proverbs 29 verse 1 is a familiar verse well known especially in reformed and evangelical circles and those that are regular churchgoers no doubt have heard sermons upon it and that's especially true in times of gospel mission. Now this is a very solemn verse, a very serious truth. Listen to the words, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And this is a verse that demands the deepest of thought and the closest of attention. And of course, I'm not sure, but I most likely in the past 20 years have preached on some occasion on this verse. But once again, it's been impressed upon my heart and mind. And I was thinking this week, not only on lessons from the peace offerings, but God's verdict of wasted reproofs. And if you look at this text, there's four things in here that God wants to say to us tonight. Here's the first thing. The description of the sinner. Look at the verse. He that being often reproved. And we'll stop there. See, in this verse, there's a particular kind of man in view. Notice the text start with the word he. So we want to ask, who is he? We want to ask, what kind of man is in view? What type of man is being referred to? Well, if you have a margin in your authorized Bible, you will see in the Hebrew, it says a man 
of reproofs. A man of reproofs. A man who's been warned and warned and warned again and chooses to ignore the warnings and the reproofs. He hasn't heeded them. And if you look carefully at Proverbs 29 and verse 4, it says, But he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. And again, in the Hebrew, it's a man of oblations, or a man of bribes, or a man who receives gifts. You think of the judge on the uh, judge's bench, and that judge has a love for money. He, he has a lust for covetous things, and he's willing to take a bribe. Well, there's going to be a perversion of judgment, and then the land is going to suffer. And what would be true of the judge could equally be true of the king. If you look at 29 verse 10, it says, The bloodthirsty hate the upright. And again, in the margin, you have got the reference, men of blood. Men of blood deliberately target the upright. A, a man or men with a sinful urge to shed innocent blood. Think of this in Bible history. We could line them up. Cain, Nimrod, Saul, Ahab, even Jezebel. What about Athaliah? Think of this in church history. Did you know that the great Caesars slaughtered thousands of born-again believers? Now, why did they deserve to die? What was their crime? They refused to say that Caesar was Lord. So they were put to death. Put to death for their love of Christ. Put to death for the word of their testimony. Isn't this true about the succession of the popes before and after the Reformation? Doesn't the Bible tell us in Revelation 17 verse 16 that the woman of Babylon is drunk with the blood of the martyrs for Jesus? Isn't it true today that in certain lands, especially in the Far East, even in the Middle East, thousands have died for their testimony of Jesus Christ and their love for him? Notice the title, A Man of Reproofs. He that being often reproved. The word reproved is used 16 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, 14 of these are in the book of Proverbs. And Solomon recognized that this is a very grave and particular sin. To which the man of reproofs is guilty. A man who's been reproved over and over again by God but tragically refuses to turn from a sin, refuses to get right with God, refuses to repent. And time and time again, that individual concern has deliberately and willfully hardened his heart, having refused to prove. We could line up many prominent sinners in the Bible. Wasn't it true of Pharaoh? Didn't he harden his own heart? What about Ahab? What about Judas? We could line up many sinners in general who haven't listened and given heed to any kind of warning. Let me illustrate. You've heard of the Roman Emperor Julius Caesar. Do you know when he died? The 15th day of March, the year 44 AD. 60 of his senators had conspired against him to murder him. That day he received 23 stab wounds in his body. Do you know that tragedy could have been averted? Julius Caesar received a number of warnings about this plot and conspiracy against him. His wife, for example, had a bad dream. She woke up 
in a cold sweat. She, she told him, husband, this is what's going to happen to you. It has come to me like a warning. And she pictured the scene about the senators putting the stab wounds of the knife into him. She said this is a bad omen. A dear friend had warned him. In fact, a dear friend had given him a letter warning him that he was in danger. In the letter was the names of the conspirators. In the letter was the details of the conspiracy, when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen. And you know what? They found the letter in his body, still unopened in his belt. Julius Caesar didn't heed the warning. He had got reproof, but he wasted that reproof. Now I want to ask, is this true of you tonight in this house? Have you been often reproved by God? God does reprove men, particular men, but also men in general. He, he confronts you with the gospel. He challenges you to, to repent and believe. He, he counsels you to repent and believe. He, he calls on you to turn to him. He reminds you of your sin, of the fact that you have a soul, of your need of a savior. He, he calls you to repent and put your trust in him with all of your heart. And how many of you here tonight have heard of your need of Christ? You've heard about your sinfulness, the need to repent and get right with God. But tonight you still haven't turned to him. How many times have you heard? If we were to travel to the land of Nepal, go to Kenya, go to Uganda where we now have works, many of those dear folks could rise up in a meeting and testify that they heard the gospel for the second or third or fourth time. And it was during those occasions that they repented and got right with God. But let's think of the citizens of Northern Ireland tonight. How many times have they heard? How many times have you heard the gospel? God's challenge and counsel to you. God's call to you to repent and believe. Let's suppose it was once per week. In the past 20 years, once per week, that's over a thousand times. Isn't that staggering that you've heard this call of God a thousand times? Let's say it's been more than 20 years. Let's say it's 40 years or 60 years or maybe 70 years. Do, do you know that that means three and a half thousand times? Once per week under the gospel ministry, being warned of sin and consequences, being told that sin is like a disease at work in your body that's destroying you, and yet you do nothing. Warned of a literal hell and eternal punishment, a hell that you could drop into at any moment because you only exist by the good pleasure of God. Only God's keeping you alive and keeping you out of hell. And yet tonight you're still in your sin. You're still without Jesus Christ. You have been reproved. Do you know that this is a, a sudden kind of reproof? Think of those tonight that have been mysteriously struck with illness. Illness, sadly, that's been serious and terminal. Think tonight of a car accident. Think of other calamitous events that have taken place where the individual has been brought to face certain danger. Think of death itself coming. Your own mortality. Your own feebleness. Your own fickleness before God. It's all a warning from him. It's part of his call and his counsel and his challenge to repent and believe. Think of the spiritual kinds of reproof. The voice of the preacher. You've been under the power of the word of God. 
And having heard, you've been reproved and maybe you've felt your guilt. Maybe there's been a tear in the eye and you've thought to yourself, you know, I must and need to get saved. And you felt consciousness of your sin and depravity, but tonight you're still without Christ. What about the voice of a godly parent who lovingly, graciously has pleaded with a son or a daughter? They have been on the journey of life. That son or daughter has become careless about the things of God. And they've been warned, don't leave the Lord out. Don't forget. Remember this motto, Christ for me. And they live a godly life before you. But you as a son or daughter of mom and dad, well, you're godless. Maybe you don't really believe in God. Maybe you say, well, I don't really believe the Bible to be the infallible word. I don't really believe in heaven or hell. I don't really believe in that I've got a soul and I need to repent and get right with God. And you've watched your godly parents and yet you've felt guilt in your sin. And yet you've gone on in your sin. So I'm asking tonight, are you a man of reproofs? Are you a woman of reproofs? Are you a young person of reproofs? How many reproofs have you had? Is this a description of you? You've been brought up in the free church under the gospel. Maybe from the mother's knee you've heard the word of God. Sunday school, Bible class, gospel mission, young people's fellowship, boys brigade, girls brigade. You've sat in gospel services and the spirit of God has worked and strove with you and you've been reproved and yet you haven't hated The description of the sinner is a man of reproofs, he that being often reproved. Notice, secondly, in the text, the defiance of the sinner. What does it say? He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. Now, what does that mean? It means he sets his face or his ears against what he or she is hearing. See, these are terrible words. The very fact that he's a man of reproofs and he's been often reproved should have caused his heart or her heart to retremble. But the reference, heart of his neck, is a reference to the response of the heart. It's the result of the failure to hate the reproof. And the response is the heart is being hardened. And many people who hear the gospel their heart is getting harder and harder and harder. And here's the result of refusing to listen to God and to God's voice and the call of God in the gospel. There's a process taking place. And that process can come and you might even be aware of it. And yet it's taking place nevertheless. And, 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 and it's come because of your refusal to bow the knee and surrender to Christ and, and a, Put your trust in him and have faith in him and his finished work. As I've said, this process could be taking place and you might even know it. You mightn't even feel it. Yet it's taking place nevertheless. You see, the thought is, hardness his neck brings us to the farmyard scene. The behavior of the ox. Think of the ox fighting against its master. The ox is refusing to submit to his control. He's he's prodding it with the ox goad, uh, like a pointed stick, into the flank. Well, today we don't use pointed sticks. We're always thinking about the vet coming round the corner. But you might have a bit of blue pipe in your hand. And as a man said to me years ago, you're you're bitting the lining out of it, but it still won't move. And you think of an ox, and you're trying to drive it forward. And it's 
refusing to move. And what does it do? It stiffens its neck. And you know, if I could get a dig at you, it would. And, and, and that hardening of the neck, it, it just increases and increases, being emblematic of its rebellion. And what's true of the ox? Is true of every defiant sinner to the word of God. There's an outward hardening that simply reflects the inward hardening of the heart. Did you know that in Exodus 32 verse 9, here's God's description of his ancient people to Moses. They're a stiff-necked people. Exodus 32 and 9, you can read about it. That was their attitude to God. Their attitude to Jesus Christ. The attitude to the gospel. Despite all God had done for them. Despite God's calls and warnings. Do you know I was thinking about this? It's a privilege to be warned by God. It's a privilege to be given the opportunity to repent and get right with the Lord. Isn't it more than we deserve? And yet in the book of Hebrews, we read in Hebrews 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Whenever Stephen, the first martyr, was being stoned to death, he said in Acts 7, 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Think of that. Sinners being charged about resisting the Holy Ghost. Stephen, I believe, was a man full of the Holy Ghost. And when the word of God is preached, when there's a testimony taking place, God's Spirit is always at work. And God's Spirit challenges the heart. And he calls for true repentance before God. He calls for faith in Jesus Christ. And yet those who have hardened their neck, they they resist him. And yet he wants to do them good. Yet... He's working for their own spiritual benefit. He designs to save. He designs to deliver from your own sinfulness, from your own depravity, from your own wickedness. But here's what happens when you reject the promptings of the Spirit of God. When you refuse his strivings, your heart and mind gets harder to the things of God. Don't we read in the book of Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his heart? Did he not witness the power of God in the land of Egypt? Think of the ten plagues. And yet he didn't bow the knee to God in true repentance. Pharaoh was responsible for his own sin, for his own soul. He hardeneth his heart. Do you know there's a story told of a pastor called George Truitt? He lived in Dallas, Texas. I can't remember the man that he took over the church from. But one day there was a funeral. And he decided that he would ride in the back of the funeral car from the church to the cemetery with a very grieving family. A loved one had died in very tragic circumstances. And there was a man in the back of that car and George Truett pleaded with that man to get saved, to repent and get right with God. And this is what the man said to Truett. Reverend Truett, when you first came to the church, your ministry had a powerful effect on me. 
I thought about what you said. Many night I went home in tears. Many night I wanted to get saved and get right with God. I wanted to talk to you at the door, but went all night into the darkness. But now, when I sit under your ministry years later, many years, your ministry has no effect on me at all. I show no emotion. I don't give a thought. I have no tear. There's no empathy or sympathy with what you're saying. Through it said, by way of testimony, that those words made him tremble as a preacher. They were awful words. Is that true of you tonight? Where you could be under the sound of the word of God and not be troubled? The Holy Spirit comes with a message designed to help you, to save you. A message about Christ. A message that Christ is your righteousness to justify you. That Christ is your wisdom to enlighten you in your stupidity. That Christ is your light to light up your darkness. That Christ is salvation to watch you and purge you from your sins. That Christ is Lord and Savior to deliver and save you and to lead and to guide you. Tonight you're not a robot. Tonight you're not passive in any one way. Tonight you're responsible. You're accountable for your actions, for your attitude. You're responsible for your unbelief, your lack of love to God. You're responsible for your hardened heart. And tonight I urge you in Christ's name to repent and be converted. Now let me tell you why. Because it's the call of God. Repent ye and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Here's another reason Jesus Christ loves you. And died to save you and rose again from the dead. And the empty tomb is proof that Jesus lives. The mighty and powerful to save. Do you know what the Holy Spirit also calls you? That's another reason. He's at work in your heart tonight. And here's another reason. Sin is a hardening effect in your heart. What have you reached the place where like that man in the back of the funeral car, you're not concerned. And you don't feel Or know the Holy Spirit striving with you. And you don't hear God's voice. Could I tell you another story? The Reverend George Whitfield, when he was in England in the 18th century, he was having a gospel mission in a particular town. And there's a man came to that mission, and he had stones in his pocket. We have hefty lumps of stones. And his attitude was, when the preacher starts preaching, I'm going to throw the stones at the preacher. I'm going to smash them into his face. I'll shut him up. But as he come to that mission, and as he listened to the preaching of the word of God from the lips of the Reverend George Whitfield, the Holy Spirit was was at work. And the Holy Spirit smashed and broke the man's heart. And the word of God came like a hammer to him. And you know, as he stood there in the open air and listened to the man of God, you know what he did? He took the stones out of his pocket. And he dropped them one by one till he had no stones left. And he said that he had come to smash the face of the preacher. But in that meeting, God smashed him by the power of the Spirit. And before that meeting was over, that man had so felt the power of the Word of God, had been overcome with his conviction, his attitude and his action. And he bowed the knee and he received Jesus Christ. But I wonder if that man had went on carried out his intention and his action against the preacher, would that not have been another signal that he was hardening his heart? 
Not only the description of the sinner and the defiance of the sinner, but I, I, I want you to think of the destruction of the sinner. Look at the text. Shall suddenly be destroyed. Now, now what does that mean? Here's another result of the hardening of the heart. Destroyed. What does that word mean? It means cut off. It means broken off without any hope. Think of those that reject Christ for the first time. Think about rejecting Christ for the last time. You know God is long-suffering tonight. You know God is very patient, and he's been very patient with you. Methuselah lived to his 969 years, and then he died. Methuselah's name means when he is dead, it shall come to pass. What shall come to pass? It's a reference to the flood. And there's, for 996 years, God had great patience. He displayed long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, because God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want you to, to go to hell and be cut off. He, he doesn't want you to be destroyed. This word destroyed doesn't mean ceasing to be. It doesn't mean going out of existence. It's nothing to do with annihilation. Nothing to do with soul sleep. That, that's the, the cult's teaching. That's modernism to say that death is the end of all life and there's no such place as hell. Now, that's not what it means when it says shall suddenly be destroyed. What it means is this. There's a line that is crossed where man is spiritually ruined. Where man has no hope. Remember Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And, and this is sudden in nature. Because it says suddenly. And it's spiritual in nature. Do you know the Bible's full of stories? Think about Noah's flood. Think about the day whenever the flood came and took them all away. If you turn over there to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Oh, I, I would love to preach in this, but I, I'm not going to open it up tonight. Matthew 24 and verse 38. Remember what it says? Verse 37 for the context, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Notice this word, until. Until. The day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came. And took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. See there's a parallel with Noah's day and our day. A parallel with Noah's day and the second personal return of Christ. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And you could imagine Noah preaching. There's one who is perfectly righteous. Jesus Christ. And there's one who imputes righteousness to everybody who trusts him. And you can become a justified sinner. And Christ implants righteousness. He takes the love of sinning out of our hearts. And he imparts it to us in the process of sanctification. And here's the people. They're taken completely by surprise. The flood came. And took them all away shall suddenly be destroyed. In a Presbyterian church in Philadelphia, there was a, a gospel mission. There was a lovely young girl there. She loved music. Many young girls do. Maybe you're here and you love music. 
loved to dance and she loved to sing. And of course, she was very good looking and boys were all chasing after her. And she thought we should go to the dance and she would get a boy there. And of course, her parents wanted her to go to the mission. And uh, this was her diary, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And this was the way it read. Mission, dance, mission, dance, mission, dance. You see, you see the week mapped out. Going three nights to the mission and three nights to the dance. Then the next week, it was mission, dance, mission, dance. But on the Friday, there was no mission. Do you know that day she died in a terrible accident? Suddenly destroyed. Taken out into eternity. And you can imagine the shock of the family. The sadness. In a gospel mission for three nights the week before. And one night or two nights the next week. And then gone out into eternity. There's a young man who sat listening to a Welsh evangelist. His name was Gomer Jones. And he had a burden for the Welsh miners. And as he preached the word of God in one of these little missions that in some Welsh town in Wales, there was a young man there and he started to cry. He, he, he was trembling. And this man, unbeknownst to himself, was led to make an appeal, never made an appeal before. And then towards the end, as they were singing the last hymn, he, he left the platform, he, he came down, he singled out the young man, he put his hand on his shoulder and he said, young man, I beg you to get right with God. Repent and receive Christ. And you know what the young man said to him? To hell with you and your Christ. And he said to that young man, Son, the wood for your coffin is in the undertaker's yard. He dismissed the meeting. Of course, he didn't sleep well. He he thought about what he said. Why did I say that? The next morning when he got up, there was a big commotion. As he was eating his breakfast, he went out into the street. He stopped the passerby and asked what was going on. And he said, Reverend, did you not hear? There was a big explosion last night. In the night shift down the mine, there's five dead. And that young man that sat trembling in the meeting, with tears running down his face, he was one of them. Of course, the preacher cried, broke his heart. He realized a young man only a heartbeat from eternity. The psalmist said, what wait I for? And yet because he hardened his heart, he was suddenly destroyed. The Bible's full of stories. History's full of stories. I want you to think lastly, not only the description of the sinner, the defiance of the sinner, the destruction of the sinner, but think of the damnation of the sinner. It says here, And that without remedy. Do do, do you see that? What does that mean? It means there's no hope. There's a man called Dr. James Morrison. He was a great Greek scholar. And in modern times, he was challenged about whether the Bible meant a, a literal hell or was it to be taken spiritually. He believed, of course, that hell was a real place. And uh, he ended up having studied the, the Greek words for hell. He, he made this comment to his class that there was no hope for a soul in hell. Now let's get the picture. Once a man has been reproved by God, a man of many reproofs, and then he's cut off 
And here's the outcome. He's beyond hope then. He's beyond help. And what he's awaiting for is to be suddenly taken out of time into eternity. Could I say tonight there's two ways to die as we close? You can die in your sins without Jesus Christ. Even that death that you die without Christ, that's a judgment. I believe it's an awful thing to die in your sins. Remember, after death, there's no second chance. There's no deliverance. There's no exits from hell itself. There's a great gulf fixed. You read Luke 16. No man can pass from thence. Lazarus was told by Abraham. And you'll face the great judgment, the white throne judgment of the unsaved dead after the second return of Jesus Christ to this earth. You'll hear words, depart from me, you cursed, you workers of iniquity, and their everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. As we finish tonight, I want to ask you this. Where does this leave you? You need to be saved tonight. You've got a soul. You know about your sin. How many times have you heard about repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ? And you're saying to me, well, what do I have to do to be saved? It's as simple as this. Admit to the Lord you're a sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And believe in Christ. Put your trust in him. Your whole wait for eternity. And then be prepared to confess Christ by your lip and confess Christ by your life. Now, that, that doesn't save you, that confession. But it's an evidence. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God at work. And that's all you have to do. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Christ, and be willing to confess him before men. Will you do that tonight? Will you come now? Don't waste this warning. God has put this in my heart, and I, I, I don't normally be as plain and as blunt as I am being tonight, but God has put this in my heart. God's verdict of wasted reproofs. He that being often reproved, Hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Do you know those words without remedy? They're repeated in other parts of the Bible, and God Himself is saying them. Don't let Him say them of you tonight. Come now and come to Christ.